Welcome to Chase Oaks. Uh, so glad to be with you this weekend. I want to take a moment to greet everybody that's watching online. What's up to everybody at Woodbridge, Sloan Creek, Richardson. And I got to give a major shout out to Church in Espanol. Just so you know, today we're celebrating the sixth year anniversary for Espanol Church. Feliz cumpleaños, seis años. Gloria a Dios. That's all I got. Now, um, super glad that you're here as uh, we are uh, wrapping up a series called Home Team. I think this is a very, very important series. This series has had a, a little bit of uh, something for everybody, and uh, I encourage you to go back and, and check it out. I think today is, is a really uh, important closing to this series because it has to do with um, the culture that is established in your home. And if a Christ-honoring, God-honoring culture is established in your home. It could impact your family for generations. I want us to begin in Joshua chapter 24. It says this. It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Uh, Joshua is actually doing a comparison of God to other little gods. And he's actually outlined three of uh, the first type of God that he refers to in the scripture were the gods of heritage. This is what the Israelites, this is what the people he's talking to, he's going, hey, I know that your great, great grandparents, they, they inherited these types of gods and you can serve those. Um, the second type of gods that he's looking at is the God of the upbringing, which is different. It's not what you just inherited. This is what you were taught. You were taught to serve these gods. And by the time he gets to Amorites, uh, the, that is a representation of the gods of culture. In other words, hey, you can just be swayed by whatever culture, want, the direction they want to sway you in. You can believe what they want to believe. You can have worldviews that they want you to have. You can serve those gods. But today you need to make a decision. By the way, I want you to know what mine is. And Joshua sets the record straight with the very famous verse. He says, but it's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. We're, make, we're putting a stake in the ground. We are making a decision. This is how things are going to be in my house. I want to talk to you about that today. Regardless if you are single, divorced, single parent, dating, engaged, whether it's your condominium, your mansion, your apartment, or your house, I believe that God wants to establish a culture in your house where people serve the Lord. I want to begin today by talking a little bit about a controversial subject. Um, there has been a, a national controversy that's been happening over the last month. And I'm not the controversial guy, but I'm feeling in a little bit of a controversial mood today. And so um, we're going to solve some things here as a community of faith. I think the church should lead the way in, in having conversations around controversy. And so today we're just going to deal with something that might make you uncomfortable, but that's okay. We're going to deal with it right here and right now. Anytime uh, someone brings up a controversial question to me and I hear it um, over and over again, I get asked the same question. I think I should put it in a sermon and deal with it right then and there. So the controversy we're going to solve right here, right now is 
is the Chick-fil-A sandwich better than the Popeye's chicken sandwich? <laughs> now, you may not know that this was happening, but Popeye's came out with the chicken sandwich uh, about a month and a half ago to compete with the Chick-fil-A sandwich. To be able to solve this controversy, you need knowledge and experience. I have both. Now, um, I searched all over the DFW Metroplex for this new Popeye's chicken sandwich to be able to answer this question adequately, and they were sold out. I then went to the Houston Metroplex to try and find this chicken sandwich. Okay, I was going there to speak, okay, but I just thought, let me check out the nearest Popeye's, see what they got. Now, uh, they were sold out. I went to Chicago, sold out. Then me and my brother on the outskirts of Chicago, Illinois, found a gas station that had a Popeye's tucked in the corner. And I thought, you know what? If uh, this Popeye's had this chicken sandwich, there would either be a line around the building or there would be people fighting in the lobby over the chicken sandwich since that's what's happening at every other Popeye's in America. Therefore, when I walked in, I said, hey, man, I'm sure you guys are sold out of the chicken sandwich. He said, no, we have the chicken sandwich. Ladies and gentlemen, Popeye's came out with a mild and a spicy. I said, which one do you have? He said, we have both. I said, Christ is in this place. So... <laughs> So I, I, I bought one of each, and I got back in the car with my brother. We turned into 11-year-olds, and we started breaking the sandwiches in half to make a covenant with one another. And so, uh, so I said, okay, we're going to eat the mild together on three, three, two, one, and we bit into the sandwich. I did everything in my power not to like the sandwich. Nevertheless, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good sandwich. Then we moved on to the spicy. Now... When we count to three to bite into this spicy chicken sandwich, one, two, three. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, salvation hit my soul once again. <laughs> Never experienced anything like it. I haven't sung like that in a while. And uh, it, 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 was, it was such a good sandwich. I mean, it, it sort of met the hype for me. And I, but then I began thinking, you know, I think maybe we're asking the wrong question because... Chick-fil-A, well, they're not trying to have the best chicken sandwich. In fact, uh, in Leanne Turner's book, uh, she wrote uh, It's My Pleasure, where she outlines the culture of Chick-fil-A. And never in there does she say, we value chicken. She says, we value people. And they have established a culture that people want to enjoy their environments. I mean, let's just think about it for a second. Like, are you going to do your kid's birthday party at Popeye's Chicken? Like, you wouldn't do that to Tommy, okay? Like, what are you going to Let me get a couple five pieces. What y'all want? Y'all want, like, there's no balloons at Popeye's Chicken. But somehow, uh, Chick-fil-A has mastered this culture with just three words. It's my pleasure. And you know what? Sometimes you're like, it's just chicken nuggets. But when they say it's my pleasure, you're kind of like, you know what? It is your pleasure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're right. And there's something about how they just treat you. The, the good news for, for you this, this weekend is if you grew up in a house that had a toxic culture, the good news for you today is that you could turn that around. That God wants to establish something in your home and how it feels that I believe changes the next generation. Here's a question um, I want you to ask yourself. Uh, when you were growing up, who ran your house? 
Like maybe it was your mom, but there was usually this governor in the home, and, and sometimes it was your little brother. Sometimes, but there's usually some sort of governor. My dad would remind me that he was the governor. So my dad had me when he was 50 years old. So by the time I was in my teenage years, my dad was in his 60s. And uh, when a person gets in their 60s, uh, they lose a little bit of their filter and caring about what people think about them. It's like, listen, that's for your 30s and 40s. But by, listen, I'm too old to try and impress you. I ain't got time for your games. Now, my dad, um, around 60 years old, he was just like, you know what? Been living in my house for a long time. I'm aware what I want. My dad used to just walk around the house in his drawers. Okay, like that's how he felt. Like I mean, you couldn't change his mind. It's his house. Like he can do what he wants, right? So I said, Hey, Dad, got some friends coming over to the house. It'd be great if you could put some pants on. Could you do that for me? So my dad said, uh, Do you or your friends pay any bills in this house? I'm trying to tell me what. As soon as you start paying a light bill, we could talk about who's wearing what and when, okay? I'll run this house. You just live here, okay? I mean, like, there was somebody that was sort of steering the ship a little bit, and you could ask yourself that today. I mean, who, who, who runs your house? If you have a toddler, it's probably them. But there's, there's somebody that's sort of calling the shots a little bit. They're kind of dictating the culture. I love but Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 says, says, For every house is built by someone, somebody, but the builder of all things is God. Might I make a suggestion for your apartment, for your room, for your house, that we all submit to this notion, God is your house. You the governor. You run things. You set the tone. I mean, ultimately, ask yourself this question. When, when some, what, what does someone feel when they come into your home? I mean, all of our thresholds have, there's, there's, there's just a feeling that you get when you, when, when, when you walk in. And, and in the event that you grew up in a house that there was so much anxiety, there was so much depression. case that's you today, I, this is, this, is, this is probably the best news you're going to get all year. Um, did you know that you have a choice? Like, this is the question I want you to talk about in the small group. This is the question I want you to talk about when, when you're at dinner, when you're at lunch. And maybe you talk about this as a family. But what do you want people to feel when they come into your home? That things don't have to be just as they are. That things can change. That people can change. That homes can change. And even if you're a single person here today... There's a feeling that people have when they walk in your house. And you've got to ask yourself, do people walk in and go, I mean, they just don't feel like cleaning today or, or they just. But did you know that each and every one of us can have homes that when our kids, our friends and family, the people that we love come in, that they could feel the peace of God. That they could feel the presence of God right when they walk in the door. And perhaps someone that is walking inside your home with the weight of the world on their shoulders, that they could possibly, possibly leave a little bit freer, a little bit more joy in their heart with a little bit more purpose, perhaps with a little bit of divine direction. I believe those things can happen in our home, but we have to have homes that truly honor God. Uh, establishing a home that honors God requires three things, I believe. Number one, intentionality. It's not going to happen on accident. You're going to have to do something on 
purpose. Number two, I believe it's going to require time. Um, I, I'm not prescribing a magic pill that you're going to go home and your homes are going to be completely different today. But I do believe you can start changing the culture of your home today. One day at a time. The third thing I believe that helps us establish a home that honors God is connection. Connection. Well, the, 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 we can't expect people in our homes to follow after God as we would without truly connecting with them. And if it's your kids, it's, it's, it's really taking some time to be very intentional and to truly connect with them where they are. The number that God has put on my heart over the past six months is the number 936. You might be wondering what in the world is the number 936. Um, it's actually the number of Saturdays I get with each of my boys before they go to college. 936. And given what I do for a living, in corporate America and in church, I'd have to begin to ask myself, how many of those Saturdays am I willing to give up and for what? The number 936 literally shifts the cosmos of my schedule because in a world that you and I live in, man, where the name of the game is to put bacon on the table in a roof over the house. But if we're not careful, doesn't it turn into not just putting bacon on the table, a specific kind of bacon on the table? Organic. It'd be nice. It's not just providing this roof. It's got to be a kind of a nice roof. And then we start making upgrades to everything under the roof. And before you know it, we have lost us to our careers and our craft and our thing. And if we're honest, it is easier than getting on the floor playing with the kids. And for me, I've just had to almost proverbially tell my career, I choose my sons over you. They get the best of me more than my career. So Saturdays at our house now, man, it's, it's, it's a thing. I mean, if I told you about yesterday, you'd go, man, what a day. And it wasn't all good, but listen, we, emergency room. But listen, everybody's fine. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> But like nine, there's a, and here's the, I, I get I get this request um, uh, every couple of weeks, and I, I always want to say yes, but I, I just can't anymore because uh, people ask me to do their weddings, and most of the time they get married on a Saturday, and and I want to do your wedding. I just I've just kind of picked my kids. I'm sorry. Now, if you want to get married on a Tuesday at like 1 p.m. I got you. No rehearsal dinner, okay? Or you could get married 936 Saturdays from now. Or you could get married in Hawaii. And then invite me and my family and we'll make some adjustments to our Saturday routine for you and your, your bride. Okay, so, like, I, I've just had to... Yo, man, 936, like when I'm talking with anyone that is engaging with me, I'm just going, if, if it's on Saturday, it, it just, man, it, it, it's really got to be really, really important because I'm counting now. And I wish I had started counting sooner. Um, I love uh, 
this this book uh, it's written by um Kara Powell it's called Growing With. If you're a parent out there, I encourage you um, to, to pick it up. It, it's got great data and just on how to really stay connected with your kids at, at each level. Also, um, if you're a, a man here and you didn't grow up with a father, um, or especially if you grew up, didn't grow up with a father uh, that loved Jesus, that was a Christ follower, you've got to buy this book. Because I realize that sometimes in church we're talking about things you're going, I don't know how to actually do that. And I'm embarrassed at 40 years old to say, I don't know how to pray with my kids. I'm embarrassed at 40 years old to say, I don't know how to show them how to read the Bible. I, I encourage you to pick this up. This is one of the best books I've ever read on being a man of God. And I encourage you to pick it up. And perhaps you could start something today uh, for your family that no one ever did for you. And sometimes I know we can live life that way. We go, well, my dad never, my mom never. And so, but why can't you be the first to say, you know what? I'm going to establish something new. Uh, uh, Kara Powell, uh, she, she says uh, that there are uh, three hats that we can wear as, as parents. And I, and I love this. This is important. Um, number one, teacher. You can wear the teacher hat here. I'm going to show you some things. Or number two, uh, you can be a guide. Or number three, a resource. And, and where this, this plays out is, and here's what I want you to leave with today. I want you to leave with a little, bit, little less guilt and a little bit more guidance in how you do life with people in your world. Because I realize, especially as parents, uh, you can just feel guilt over the decisions that, are, that your kids made. But remember, whose house is it? It's God's. So, hey, God, these, these are your kids. I'm just borrowing them for a little bit. Help me do my best to, to train them as best I can and teach them the ways of God. And, and at some point, I'm just going to be a guide. And then at some point, I'm just a resource. But I, I can't own my son's choices. Uh, my son is, uh, is five years old, and I have another four-month-old, and he doesn't talk yet, and so he's perfect. And so, um, <laughs> but for my five-year-old, we're, we're kind of locking in and... and He's got career day next week at school, and he's trying, you know, he, he was going back and forth between a couple of different positions. Now, obviously, I only want him to have one job, and that's to be in the NBA. And so um, we tried doing basketball with him, and uh, we went to this, like, little camp. And the amount of anxiety, and uh, I, I'm, I'm still a Christian, I promise you that, but... I lost my mind at this deal, and it's extremely frustrating as someone that played basketball at a competitive level. And my wife's like, Ryan, he's five. I'm like, if he wants to be in the NBA, we don't have time for grace right now. Do you understand me? Get down and give me 20 more. Like, it's like, like Ryan, don't be that dad. I'm like, I'm already that dad. It's too late for me, okay? And, you know, I'm trying to teach him about defense. And, I'm, okay, so they're wearing different jerseys. If they're wearing a different jersey than you, you go steal the ball from them. He starts stealing the ball from his teammates. I go, oh, no, this is not good. And then he started crying to me in the middle of the game, asking me for water. You don't get a water break. Okay, so, I mean, it just, it was going so awful. And my wife's like, Ryan, you have to let go. I'm like, I'm not letting you go. And so, so last week, you know, it's like, hey, do you want to be, an NBA player, and if he's an NBA player, you know, we go get him like a full Mavs outfit, and we're going to deck it out. And then my wife said, or do you want to be a, a police officer? So he chose um, police officer. <laughs> now, I'm mad that you're clapping right now. 
like you're supposed to be with me, okay? Like I'm here for you right now, and you're just going to clap at, at him going against everything I've ever wanted him to do, but whatever. Um, and then, um, you know, he decided that he wanted to like write me a ticket, and I was like, why? Why? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm learning to let go. I'm uh, I'm in repair, okay. So I'm not together, but I'm getting there, okay. So letting go is is really just going. You know what? The best thing I can teach my son is really follow God. My hope and prayer is that he really doesn't do my will for his life. I mean, my will for his life is for him to be in the NBA so he can retire me and his mother. That'd be great. But what's more important is that whatever he does, whether he's on the police force, if he plays hockey, which if he does that, what are we going to do? But regardless of the decisions that he makes in his future, the best thing that I can do for him is not try and control his choices. The best thing that I can do is to go, man, let me point you, let me give you a little bit of a North Star for life. His name is Jesus. Lean on him for everything in your life. I think sometimes it, it, it comes down to, you know, things that we should do for the next generation. But really we should be asking ourselves, what can we be doing with him? I don't want to tell my son to follow God, but he's never seen me do it. We can't ask our kids to, hey, you should, you should start reading your Bible. Have they seen you do it? Have they seen you pray? Have they seen you worship? What's, what are the activities going on in your home that are establishing a culture where they go, this is, this is just what we do. I love what Proverbs 24, verse 3 says. It says, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. But in this house, man, this is, we're going to try and make the, the wisest possible choices. Let me tell you this. The wisest thing anybody could ever do is trust God. I've never met a person who says, you know what, I trusted God. I'm never doing that again. No one's ever said that. God trusted God and, and, and God was God. I, I love it. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. I print this out. This, 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 would be, this would be all over my house if I'm you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. The greatest resource that we can give the next generation is the ability to seek the Lord in all they do. Man, I hope you leave here with a little little less guilt. I really do. I really hope that you, maybe some of you need to hear that you're doing a good job. That you're doing the best that you can, that you did the best that you could in your marriage, that you did the best that you could in that relationship, that you're doing the best that you can in that house to honor God and just trust that God is going to honor you. But trying to control someone else's decisions is just so exhausting. And and how many times has that ever actually worked? You've got to ask yourself the question. How many times is trying to steer someone else's life was just... Now, sometimes you just say, I'm going to teach you the right way, guide you when I can, and be a resource and be in your corner when you fall. But the pressure that we have to raise perfect children that never get pulled over, that never make any bad financial decisions, that never date the wrong person, that never make the wrong career decision, it's like, haven't we all done that? 
I don't know where this pressure's coming from, but I hope you leave here with a little bit less on you to go, Lord, I, I, I'm going to do my best and trust that what we train them to do will lead them the way home. Training our children to make godly decisions takes all the pressure off of us, puts all of the pressure on God. Here's uh, lastly what um, I, I, I want to tell you on how to establish a culture of seeking godly wisdom in your home. This goes for whether you're single, married, um, whatever your home looks like. This is how I believe you can truly establish seeking godly wisdom in our homes. Number one is stillness. I mean, we could sit here on this for a year because we're just so busy. But if we can help this be a staple in our home, where it's like at some point we just sit still long enough for God to speak. Because sometimes our homes are just built. It's like one long schedule where there always has to be some noise happening of some sort. But that there is something about stillness that opens the heavens. It says, God, we're waiting on you. We're, we're listening for you. Number two is, is hearing God's word, which is why I think it's important to, to consistently come to church. But better than hearing God's word on a consistent basis, practicing God's word on a consistent basis is really going to set up the next generation. Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus is telling the story. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like the foolish man who built this house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Here's what I think we have to prepare ourselves for. Here's what I believe we have to prepare our homes for. Here's what I believe we have to prepare the next generation for. The rain to fall, the floods to come, and the winds to blow. That's called life. And in that moment, we find out who we really are. And in that moment, my hope and prayer is that we would have a foundation that is built on God's word and practicing it. So that whether you're there when that storm happens or not, they're not relying on you to save them. Because we're horrible gods anyways. They relied on God. And they learned what they needed to learn. And they built their life on something that will last them in eternity. Me and my wife had some friends that said, hey, uh, we want to come over to your house and we want to pray for you. We say, yeah, come on over, you know, pray for us. And so they come over, they bring their, they bring their two kids and they say, hey, so uh, we, we pray a little different. And anytime somebody, if that's their opener, um, you just instantly get nervous because you're like, this is about to go south. Are you about to start throwing oils, essential oils all over my house? Like, I don't want my house smelling like that right now. And so... Um, what's about to happen to us? And, and this is this is what they do. It, it, it was it was nuts. They say, hey, um, we're going to put a four minute timer on our phone 
And we are simply going to sit still before God for you and your family. Just for four minutes. And at the end of the four minutes, we're going to share with you whatever God put on our hearts. Is that cool? We said, yeah, sure. So, beep, they hit the timer. Now, I got a five-year-old and a four-month-old. My house ain't never quiet for four minutes. Like, if I'm honest, the first four minutes, I was like, man, it's like, is that what my air conditioning sounds like? Like, you're just, you're like, you're not even realizing, like, it's like, man, I never sit still. There's always something, and it's like, what's going to happen? They've got their heads down. They've got paper out. I'm like, and at the end of this four minutes, what God put on that young man, that young daughter, the husband, the wife, what it put on their hearts, they did four minutes for me, then they did four minutes for my wife. And what they wrote down changed our lives. Absolutely changed our lives. It, it actually changed the culture in our home. Um, in fact, my wife, after that, she wrote in our kitchen, got four minutes. And the reason why I love this exercise, and we've done this for friends. Friends will come over and we'll say, hey, let, let's just take four minutes. We realize you've got a big decision to make. I don't know what to tell you. Like, let, let's, just, let's just sit still before God. Here's, there's two reasons why I love the four-minute drill. Number one, and we'll talk about this in, a, in another series on prayer, I'm sure, in the future. Um, if you're talking to God, why would you talk the whole time? Let's think about that for a second. Like, what God has to say to you is way more important than what you have to say to him. So it's interesting that someone would say, I'm going to come pray for you and say nothing. They're just, say, We're just going to sit before God and say, Lord, put something on our heart for our friend. We're going to give you four minutes to do it. It's beautiful. Because now, for those of you that are like, man, I'm not a good prayer person. I don't know these and thous. And sometimes those, those, like, those prayer warriors are like, they're good at talking to God. But you feel like, I, I'm not that good at leaving that long of a voicemail. I'm le- Perfect. Don't say anything. But block off four minutes where no one else can get a hold of you. And just see what happens. The second reason I love the four-minute drill is, um, I think, an ideal world. It'd be great if we all woke up super early and fasted and prayed in like two hours. Like you read your Bible for an hour, you prayed for an hour, and then you just prayed over every single person that you know. That's ideal. Um, But only like three people here do that. And so for the rest of us that like to sleep, um, like I, I don't know that all of us have two hours, but I do know this. Every single person under the sound of my voice has four minutes. And my hope and prayer is that in our homes, regardless of what those homes look like, that we would take life four minutes at a time. Because we all got four minutes. My own prayer is that this afternoon, perhaps, you sit down with your family and say, Guys, and everybody around the table, we're not doing anything for four minutes. We're going to ask God to put anything on our hearts. And you might go, man, this feels stupid. This feels silly. What? Just write it down. You'll be surprised at what God could do with four minutes. Some of you are going to be overachievers like, oh, I did 40 minutes and it was great. I'm like, okay, listen, we, we don't need you right now, okay? <laughs> Calm down, okay? I don't know about you, but there's just something about like doing this for four minutes and just going, Lord, it's your time. 
What do you want to say about my family? What do you want to say about my career? What do you want to say about this relationship? What have you been trying to tell me a long time that I haven't stopped long enough to hear? What I love about what this family does is they've been doing it for 20 years and they write it down every single time. They have journals this thick of what God has said to them in four minutes over the past 20 years. Imagine the grandkids picking that up and going, this is what God has been saying to my family for decades. Think about that type of culture. The good news is that each and every one of us can do the same. My hope and prayer is that you wouldn't live with this weight of the world pressure of raising perfect men and women of God. That, that we would just have homes that are, my, my hope and prayer is that we would look at today and go, Lord, we're going to carve out moments and time in our home for you. Where we open God's word, where we put on worship music, we put this house, you're building this house. It's not on me, it's not on my job, it's not on my career, it's, it's, it's you. I believe that we all can establish the home team. A home team that honors God four minutes at a time. God, I thank you so much for each and every person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that we would honor you. That for my friends that grew up in cultures that say, I don't know what any of this looks like. God, I pray that they would start today by giving you four minutes of stillness. And in that moment, as, as my friends try and do some four-minute drills and don't exactly know how to do that, God, I pray that... They would put on a timer, and in that moment, I just pray that you would show up and do what only you can do as we take steps moving towards creating cultures and homes that truly honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say it.